We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like you to look here at Mark in chapter 12 at verse 35. This is one of those messages that it's like holding quicksilver, mercury. It is just too alive uh, of trying to put simply into language you're doing your best whenever you preach it to try to contain the ideas that are there. Some messages are like that. I think it's why it says at the end of the message in verse 37, the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. There's something about when people talk about the ineffable, mysterious nature of God that just kind of holds you enthralled about God. And that's what Christ is going to do. The context is four questions have been brought to Jesus. And four answers were given to their questions by Jesus. And all of the answers to their questions were all seemingly simplistic. At surface level, Christ's answers were like Ned and the first reader. Everybody knew what he was saying. But as he continued speaking, nobody understood what that text said. By whose authority are you doing these things? John the Baptist, final prophet of the Old Testament. What'd you think about him? Was he of God? Well, we're not going to say. Neither am I going to say. And so I was, I am, my authority is that of the Bible. Um, should we pay the tax to Caesar or not? I don't know. You got a quarter? Whose image? Caesar. So pay it. Incidentally, give to God what is his image. His image. And that's you. Everything goes to the king. In the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? There is no marriage in the resurrection. Say what? Yeah, we're like angels. And incidentally, concerning the fact of life from the dead, do you remember he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They all thought, oh yeah, we know that. Am, not was, I am. They were there with him. What's the greatest commandment? What's it say? Every Jew's memorized it. Love the Lord your God with the heart, mind, soul, strength. Do this. You know, you're right, teacher. Whoever does that, they have transcended all the law and all the sacrifices. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And so Jesus took very simple verses that everybody knew that they thought they knew, and he opened them up. And that's what he's going to do right here. The difference in verse 35 is that somebody else is going to ask the question. Whenever an infinite being says, listen up, you're about to get in trouble. He's going to ask a question. And he's going to ask a question that every Jew knew. And the Gospel of Matthew gives us a little facet that Mark doesn't. Jesus said, let me ask you a question. The Messiah, the Christ, whose son is he? And every Jew knew what that meant, son of David. And then David, or Jesus, picks it up here in Mark. Then how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David when David himself said in the spirit, the Lord, meaning God, said to my Lord, the Messiah, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your, put your enemies beneath your feet. 
David himself calls him Lord. In what sense is he David's son? The Lord said to my Lord. God said to the Messiah. My Lord. Lord to Lord. So who is, according to David, who is the Messiah? The Lord said to my Lord, who is he? He's God. That's his nature. Everyone knew that he was David's son, but they did not see this, that he is also David's God. Uh, Thomas, touch the hole in my hand, touch the hole in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said, along with Psalm 110, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And so, verse 37, David calls him Lord, and what sense is he his son? He is man and he is God. Do we have a theological term for that? To where deity takes to itself human flesh. Carne, flesh. What's the theological term? The incarnation. Jesus looks into the very nature of Messiah. Not what Messiah is, the deliverer, the savior, but who he is. He is as we sing, uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. He's going to look at the truth behind what all Jews knew, that he is the son of David. And he is going to describe who he really is and thus why he really came. They have a name for this in uh, theology. It's called the messianic secret. That the nation had a notion as to who Messiah was. He's Messiah, the son of David, and he's going to free us from our enemies. Is that all he is? No, he goes far deeper, far of what the Old Testament had to say. But they couldn't see it, and they didn't see it. Christ is going to bring it before their eyes, and they're going to stand silent. Who do men say that I am? Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, John the Baptist, who do you say? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou. Heaven has revealed this to you. Your sins are forgiven you. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He who hath seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are of one essence. We're one. And they picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said, for what good deed are you stoning me? And they said, for no good deed do we stone you. But you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. 
Christ seven times took the divine name, I am, and said, you're looking at him. No man hath seen God at any time, John said. The only begotten God from the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Wow. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. That means God with us. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, Christ, the Lord. What'd you say? A Savior, Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign. You'll find a baby and swaddling in a manger. Christ, God, baby. Is that okay with y'all? Anybody want to try that? Understanding? It's called the incarnation. And even in Christendom, we did not come to grips fully with what that meant. We had terms. Christ is the Son of God. He is divine. Explain that. You know how long it took us to come up with a confession that he is fully God, fully man, united, without division, without confusion, in one person forever? That is called the Chalcedonian Creed or Confession. What year you think it was? 451 A.D. It took us 450 years to come to a, a real precise conclusion not simply of what he was, but what he wasn't. That he's one man, he's a theanthropic person, God and man, with two complete natures in one person without a confusion and without separation forever. 451. And so Christ is dealing into what he called, great is the mystery of godliness, God revealed in the flesh. And that is why Jesus was interested in far more than freeing Israel from Rome. He was interested in far more than politics, far more than temporal happiness. Whenever you have a parent that has a rebellious child and doesn't want to deal with that kid, and to keep him placated, he will give the kid whatever he wants to have, okay? What do we call that kind of parent? We had a name for him, enabler. They enable. I'm not going to change you because it's too much effort. I'm just going to give you whatever you want. And that's an effort. That's why Mark Twain said to raise a kid, you put him in a barrel, you nail a lid on it and feed him through a knot hole. He said when they turn 13, you plug the knot hole. Okay. <laughs> I find no humor in that. Okay. But Mark Twain did. Because it's an effort. Would you agree? Any amens on that? To, to raise a kid, if I had your parents here, could I amen? Yeah. To, to, to raise up a kid in the way that he should go. I like the proverb, beat your kid. He will not die. It's something like that. I forget. It's a great verse. And so Jesus is not an enabling parent. And that's what, God love them, the nation wanted. Get rid of these Romans. Bring in wine and milk and blessedness and happiness in the kingdom right now. You know what the word Hosanna means? Save now. Save us now. Fix us. 
And Jesus, when he saw the nation in his triumphal entry, throwing their coats down before him, their palm leaves, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What do you think Christ did? Do you think he cheered and said, finally, they figured it out. He did something that he only does three times in his life, and he did it for the second time here. He's going to do it for the third time in Gethsemane. What was it? He cried. He wept. He said, they can't see it. They can't see it. What I'm trying to get is, when he came to his senses, he said, my father's hired servants have more than enough food. I'm dying here with hunger. I will go home and say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. Just make me one of the hired men. And the father said, this son of man was lost. Uh, son of mine was lost, now he's found. And they rejoiced. That's what we want right there. And that's what he couldn't get. Someday, will he have a nation that will look on him whom they have pierced and mourn for him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Say yes. Yes. That will happen someday, but not yet. And so they wanted an enabling parent. Just like a lot of people now that look into Christianity and say, you know, I think that's good for some people but I, I really don't need it. I'm married. I make a good living. I live in a house with a lot of square feet. I really don't need Christ. And I say to them, you really don't, as long as you've never sinned and you'll never die. But he didn't come to get you to get a date or to clear up your face or have you lose some weight. He came to save your soul from eternal judgment. And for that, you need him and you need him desperately. And so even today, men don't want salvation. They want perks. Incidentally, a little trivia. How many times is heaven used in an evangelistic message in the New Testament? Never. It's not you get heaven. You get God because you've been saved. The perks of heaven, eating food and not gaining weight, playing the harp for the first time and being on tune, okay, singing with joy, yet that comes, it really does. But the reason you get saved is not for heaven. Everybody would like heaven better than hell. You get saved so you can be forgiven of moral guilt before a holy God and thus able to enter into his courts with thanksgiving and to his courts with praise. That's why. And so this is called the higher purposes. Jesus was not just a redeemer, a, a, a savior, a political figure. He had higher purposes that the nation couldn't see. It's called the messianic secret. And that is why they crucified him. Do you remember on one occasion, he healed a guy, a couple of occasions, healed a guy and the guy went, wow. And Jesus said, great, tell no one what I just did. I don't want people coming to me like you know, the uh, welcome wagon out there. They're to come like Mary and sit at my feet. They're to be lowered through the ceiling because they want to hear what I say. So this is the messianic secret. There's five things. Number one, his claim of deity, that he is not just great, that he is God. Caiaphas, your own oath for your life. Are you or are you not the Christ, the son of the blessed one? I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of 
power coming in the clouds of glory. And they said, what further need have we of witnesses? You've heard it from his own mouth. That is blasphemy. He must die. And so Jesus came not just as a great Judas Maccabees redeemer. He came as God. Secondly, as God, he came to preach. He came to teach. He came for the heart, not just to free you from the Romans, but to deal with what got you in captivity. Why did Israel find themselves from the 6th century B.C. until 1948 in captivity under the Gentiles? Question, was it because of their lack of military? Was it because their lack of politicians, their lack of whatever? No, it's because they violated the Mosaic covenant of fidelity to God and being sacrificial before him in their apologies, whereby they could know his blessing. It culminated with the rejection of Moses, the rejection of the prophets, and then God's own son came, and they tortured him six hours before he died, then lied about it as to whether he rose from the dead. And so, he did not come merely to fix them. He came to correct the error, the shallowness, the hypocrisy of religious legalism. You remember a fellow named Samuel? Samuel led Israel out of the degradation of the time of the judges. Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, here comes Samuel. He led them against the Philistines, brought them into repentance, set up a little circuit whereby he would judge the nation under Samuel. They did not lose any battles. He was the ultimate judge of Israel, Samuel. When you get to heaven, check him out because we didn't get a leader the closest you could come to him of, of just almost moral perfection, which nobody has, is Joseph. Daniel, maybe. He was amazing. He was a prophet, priest, and king long before uh, the prophets, the final priest, and the final king, Samuel. And he did so well that Israel came up to him and said, you've grown old. Your sons don't follow you in faithfulness. You're fired. We want somebody else. We don't want to judge. Frankly, Samuel, you preach too much. We're tired of being preached to. We want the perks of being the covenant nation, but we're tired of them dang sermons. We want a king just like, just like the nations. We want to be like the guys around us, a professional that will secure our happiness. That's what we want. I want Eden. I just don't want God. And God said, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. Well, you tell them, 1 Samuel 12, this is what's going to happen. That king is about to become your worst nightmare because that's what's going to happen to politicians that don't know God. Is anybody with me on that? God said, this is about to become your worst nightmare when you let a human run you that is not run 
by God. We're about to have a mess. And it happened. They had a little brief time of Camelot under David, under Samson. Oh, no, no, Sam, oh, what's the kid's name? Solomon, yeah. I'm a scholar. I really am. Yeah, you had a brief time of Camelot. But these guys were going to try to rule the nation. They couldn't rule their own sex drive. They had a problem with his best friend's wife next door. They had a problem with 700 best friend's wives. Okay. And so, Jesus came to call them back. And in Luke chapter 4, Christ's first message, he quoted Isaiah. He said, this is fulfilled in your sight. Your Redeemer has come. And it said that in Luke 4, those that heard him marveled at the gracious words that fell from his lips. And then in the very next sentence, Jesus said, no doubt you will say to me, physician, heal thyself. What you did at Capernaum, which is where he moved after Nazareth, and did a bunch of miracles, a bunch of blind men seeing and deaf men hearing and all that like, what you did at Capernaum, do here too. Jesus said, that's great that you're glad that I'm here, but no doubt you're saying, we want some goodies. We want some perks. We want some of that blessing, some of that milk and honey. Moses gave us food in the wilderness. You need to give us some food. And Jesus said, uh, be careful. He said, there were many widows in the days of Elijah. He didn't go but to one, a Phoenician, the widow of Zarephath. Israel didn't want him, so he went to a Gentile. You refuse the word of God, and he will pull it away and give it to the Gentiles. He said, there were many lepers in the days of Elisha, and Elisha didn't go to any of them. He went to a Syrian named Naaman and healed him. The Jews didn't want him. The Gentiles would. Implication being, this can happen to you. You want a lot of perks? Be careful that that doesn't eat away like cancer and you reject me because you don't like my preaching. We're sure going to take it to these guys. And you know what they did? It said, and I quote, and they were filled with rage and they took him to the edge of a cliff that they might throw him off. Can things change on you real quick? When I found out that you want me to change, I don't like that. You've heard the old story of Billy Sunday. Billy, you're rubbing the fur the wrong way, then turn the cat around. <laughs> and that's what they were saying. Jesus, you're rubbing the fur the wrong way. Turn the cat around. Well, maybe we'll kill you. Well, maybe you will. And then we'll see what I'll do. And so he came as God, and he came to do something more than being an enabling bad parent. He came to change them. Number three, he would change them, not just by his preaching, but by his death. He came to die. Peter said he was offered up by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified him by the hands of wicked men. 
God was the one that placed him on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Question, did even the 12 understand what was happening when he went to his death? Peter said, Lord, this will never happen to you. Get behind me, Satan. That's why when he died, no one rejoiced and said, glory, atonement is made. For three days, people were in darkness. They couldn't understand it. The women came that saw him rise the first time, the group of women. They said, the Lord hath risen. And they said, you're crazy. And so, no one really understood until later when he rose from the dead, spent 40 days with them, breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit and understand what the Old Testament said. And 50 days later, Peter preached an Old Testament survey on Jesus. And so, even they didn't understand. Like I've said, when you looked at the Old Testament, it looked like there was a Messiah on a hill here that would die, a Messiah here on a hill that would reign. It almost looked like two of them. Peter said the prophet struggled trying to understand the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. How do you have a guy die and a guy rule? Are there two messiahs? And yet, as you come up on the mountains, you see that they're not side by side. They're way in the back. Have you all ever done that in Colorado? Where you came up on a couple of mountain peaks and you came up on it and it turned out it was in like Idaho. And there was an enormous valley in between that you couldn't see until you came. And then you saw the peaks, the peaks, they weren't just together. There was an invisible thing in between. Christ would die. Christ would return in rain. What was in between? Us, his mercy. Did they know this? It's called the messianic secret. Uh, fourthly, he came not just to die for a recalcitrant people, but did he die for somebody bigger than they ever thought? That God so loved the world. You remember Simeon, when Jesus was eight days old, they brought him to Simeon, and he, God said, that's him. And he looked at him, and he said, uh, this child is appointed for the rise and the fall of many in Israel, and he will be, and I quote, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Isn't that something? He's not just going to go to the Jews. He's going to go to Austin. Because there's three or four guys that need to be saved down there. He's going to go to Boston. You know, we've got a guy in our church. He's now pastoring out in Abilene. And... Uh, He's Chinese. His name was Daijing Wong. He came here and got a, uh, a degree in something I can't pronounce. His wife got a degree in something I can't pronounce. No one could talk to him because he was so smart. Only his wife could communicate with And he had gotten converted. And he got converted in fifth gear. He was a communist. He had no idea of God or what anybody thought of God. And he came to the university of, uh, to a, he came here to North Texas and he went to a conference at the University of Texas. Steve, you'll need to hear this here. 
He's our token University of Texas. He came to the University of Texas and he walked through the campus and he saw a building, the library. And on the library he saw, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Did you know that was at the University of Texas? Okay. And he saw it. And he said to somebody, there is truth. And they said, well, they thought it was back then. Yeah. Yeah. Who said that? And somebody said, that's a quote from the Bible. I've heard of that. Who said that? Jesus. I've heard of him. He said what? You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. See, communism feels that all history is evolving. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and thus the past is bad. The future is good. That's why they cancel culture. All right? And so he said there is final truth, not evolving ideas. No. That's what Jesus said. I must learn of this Jesus. And he did. And he got converted. And now he, uh, he taught international guys for years BTCP stuff in China. Kids came to Christ. Wife came to Christ. Now he pastors a church in Abilene. He is the greatest Chinese preacher in the history of Abilene, Texas. <laughs> Have you ever heard Chinese with a West Texas draw? <laughs> we gave him some boots. <laughs> we gave him a Colt revolver, you know, <laughs> sent him off. Yeah. But here was this Daixing Wong that got converted. And the Bible opened up to him. He wrote uh, his doctoral thesis, no, his master's, on a chronology of the judges from the book of Judges and their alignment with archaeological data and uh, discovery. No one ever read that uh, thesis. I tried to. He was brilliant beyond all feasibility. And uh, incidentally, he calculated as one of his points of doctrine that when Jesus was born, and he could show it by ways that I cannot explain, that Jesus was born on December the 25th. How that? So, remember that at Christmas, do not argue with Da Jing Wong. <laughs> he says he was. Okay, let's continue. And so he came to die for all. Listen to this. Uh, the sheep hear my voice, and I gather them into my fold, John 10. And I have sheep of another flock, and I must go and gather them, that they will be one flock with one shepherd. Who are the sheep that he came initially to gather? Jews. Who's the sheep of another flock that he will gather? That's right, Mormons. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you ever saw their commercial, they took John 10 and tried to make it Mormon. Okay. Now, it's what it means everywhere else, the non-Jews, the Gentiles that I'm going to gather them into one flock with one shepherd. 
What is he anticipating? What's it called? The church. Two peoples come together with one priest and king. And so nobody understood that. That's why when he was born, two groups of people came to adore him. One were shepherds of Israel at the Migdal Eder that are looking for sheep for sacrifice in the temple. And they're watching over their flocks by night. And all of a sudden an angel says, there's born for you good news of great joy, Messiah. He's come. Shepherds looking for the sheep. He's come. And then he grows up to about two years of age. And another group of guys came. Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Uh, who were those guys? The magi, the wise, my son called them the wise guys. <laughs> they were the wise men from the east. They're Gentiles. And they're magi. They're what a Gentile would call a philosophy and medical and whatever professor. They're the smartest guys of the Gentiles, the Magi. And they've come saying, we've just heard that the Jewish king has come. We need to see him. We've heard the lowliest guys that the, the lamb has come. We've come to see him. Lowly Jews, brilliant Gentiles, looking for Messiah, looking for their king. And they both come, and they are both accepted. Isn't that amazing? And so, he came for all. Are you with me so far? He came as God. He came not just to free, but to preach and teach and get your heart, to wrench you back into proper thinking about God. He came to die, and he came to die for all. And fifthly, he came to die and then to return someday. This is why it looks like there's two of them. John 14. Uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place, I will come again. I'm going to return someday. After I die and rise and ascend and sit down and gather in my people, I'm coming for you. And I'm going to take you where I am, there you will be also. It's called the rapture. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? We're looking for it right now. I mean, we've waited a long time. We've been waiting 40 days. Is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1. It's not for you to know the time that's fixed by the Father's authority. Yes, I'm going to restore it. When? You don't know and you don't need to know. I'm going to do it. But here's what you are to do. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Because I'm not going to be here. And you're going to go tell people why I'm gone and that I'm coming back. And they saw him ascend into glory. And two angels appeared, men of Galilee. Why are you looking into the sky? This same Jesus that departed from you is going to return the same way as he left. He's coming back. And then the angel said, you better light a shuck. That's in the Greek right there. You better get to moving. 
because he's returning. And so, uh, of the messianic secret, the only one that Israel was in tune with was that he was someday going to institute the kingdom. They knew that. And they wanted that now. The rest they didn't understand. Someday it will come, not today. Until then, you'll be my witnesses. It's called the messianic secret. Incidentally, uh, Israel didn't understand all of this except for one guy. He saw the whole thing. Now, he had lived his entire life as a crook. And at the end of life, the Romans took him and crucified him. And he died on Jesus right at his arm length. And previously, he had said, save yourself and us if you're the Messiah. In other words, we don't want to change. We just want to get off his dang cross so we can go back to stealing. But this guy kept watching him. Maybe looked above his head and saw Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And then maybe it dawned. We like sheep had gone astray. God has called the iniquitous all to fall on him. Maybe, they, maybe it clicked. Maybe all of those Yom Kippur services of atonement where he is bruised and he is wounded for our transgressions. Maybe he looked at him and figured it out watching him the way he conducted himself, taking care of his mother, praying for the, those drive the nails, being reviled, not reviling in return. He just, he just watched him. And then he turned to his pal and he said, do you not fear God? We're receiving what we deserve for our sins. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear the Lord. He said, we're about to stand before God and you know, well as I do, you're, you're guilty for what you did. And then he looks at Jesus. He said, this man's done nothing wrong. He is not dying for what he did. And then he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now think about that. Would you say to a man who's going to die in a few minutes, when you come in your kingdom, why, why you, you don't think he's going to stay dead? No, I don't. Because I don't think he's dying for himself. I'm thinking he's dying for us. Because that's what messiahs do. How long have you known that? Well, it'd be hard to do it on a cross. <laughs> I've known it for five minutes. And not just are you going to come, you're going to come in your kingdom. Your kingdom's going to be then. And then he says this. Remember me. I'm not saying that I, I mean, how can you stack up your good works when you're getting crucified for being a thief? You got no good works. It's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. All he says to Jesus, I want you to remember one thing. Just before I died, I confessed who you are. I'm trusting you. That you are the Messiah. You're not dying for what you did. You're dying for others. You are going to raise from the dead and conquer death. I'm not sure how, but you're going to. And what's more, I think you're going away. And what's more, I think you're coming back. And I think you're going to set up your kingdom. Every aspect of systematic theology is in that guy's statement. John Calvin called him the greatest theologian that ever lived at the time of his death.
And what do you think? Does anybody think you can live like the devil all your life and in the last three hours that you can be saved? Anybody? Aren't you glad? And Jesus looked at him and said, you've lived like the devil all these years and here in the last moment you want to get saved? You go to hell, son. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Jesus said, he said, remember me whenever you come. All I want you to do, I'll be sitting at the back of the class. I just want you to look at me and go, I know you. I know you, pal. You spoke of me greatly and you trusted me. I know who you are. And that's kind of the way we are when we die. Jesus, just remember me that I put my faith in you. And Jesus looks at him and he says, the guy says, remember me, you, me when? I'm not sure when you're coming. Jesus said, today. You, me, together in paradise. Isn't that something? You know what the thief said after that? Nothing. <laughs> he didn't say nothing. He just waited and rested. When they came to him with a fregarium to break his kneecap so he couldn't push himself up, but he would strangle, he, he waited and he trusted and he watched Jesus give up the ghost before him. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then it says, he bowed, he breathed his last, and he bowed his head. And the centurion that knew how soldiers are supposed to die said, this man was innocent. This was the son of God because he died like a soldier. It's finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. And went home. And so when you get the glory, look for that guy. Because he was the greatest theologian that ever lived at the time of his death. We don't know his name. In Psalm 110 in verse 36, this psalm is a capsule of the messianic secret. Verse 36, David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, meaning God the Father, said to my Lord. Question, is Messiah divine? Yes or no? Yes. He is Messiah, David's son, David's God. Does he have a human nature and a divine nature? Yes or no? Yes. That's nailed in one sentence. It took us 450 years to delineate it. It's nailed in one sentence. Sit at my right hand. The context of Psalm 136 is, uh, let me think, wait just a second. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He is an eternal priest. When he says sit, what's the one thing that a priest in the temple of God can never do? Sit. They can never sit. Because they're always offering sacrifice. Because the sacrifices are not in themselves sufficient. They're symbols of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And so they can never sit. This priest can sit. He's done. He only offered one sacrifice. What was the sacrifice? Himself. 
on Yom Kippur. He offers that, I'm sorry, on Passover, he offers that sacrifice. And then he ascends to glory, and God says in the psalm, prophetically, sit. It's over. It's finished. We don't need to do anything else. It's done. And so what you have here is his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now he sits. That's a term for the the bestowal of authority. Whenever Sarah died, she called the child being born Ben-Oni, that meant son of my sorrow. Abraham said, no, we're going to call him son of my right hand because he's about to get it done for me because I'm too old. Christ was, in a sense, the son of sorrow. He died, but he was the son of God's right hand and that he sat at God's right hand and all authority was given to him. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He will save out the elect. He will secure them. He will send the Holy Spirit. He will raise them from the dead. He will return. He will act out the justice of God and then establish the kingdom of God. And so, he is God. He is God in man. He will die as a Melchizedekian priest. A Melchizedekian priest is an eternal priest. A Levitical priest is a temporal priest. You get to be a Levitical priest because of your birth certificate. You're born of Levi. You get to be a Melchizedekian priest because you're God. The roll call on the Melchizedekian priesthood is very short. It's type and antitype. Melchizedek, Christ. Here, that's it. And so he sits, and he sits at the Father's right hand, and now he is doing the Father's business. What's the Father's business? All that the Father hath given to me, they will come to me. And the one who comes, I will not cast out. I will raise him on the last day. He is saving out the elect. The Lord is not slow about his purposes, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any, meaning of you, to perish, but for all you to come to repentance. He's saving out a people. So, sit at my right hand. And then it says in the book of Hebrews, looking at this particular verse, Hebrews chapter 10, that he is waiting from that time forward. He's gathering out a people. Sit at my right hand until, will this age of salvation go on forever? No, it's going to end someday. You sit at my right hand until, it goes like this. All authority is given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you, even until the end of the age. This period of grace is not going to last forever. There's a day appointed by the Father. God hath commanded all men to repent, having fixed a day in which he will judge the world through a man, having given proof to all, and they raised him from the dead. He said, this time of mercy is going to end someday. And so he is sitting, he is waiting until, whenever the book of Revelation chapter 4 says, come up here, the rapture occurs. And then in chapter 6, the Father takes the scroll of the final judgment and hands it to the Son. And the Son barks, come, and judgment begins. And so, sit at my right hand until it ends someday with the tribulation period. 
And then at the end of that, he will come. And it says in 36, and I will put your enemies beneath your feet. What happens at the end of the tribulation? A return, a judgment, and the kingdom of God. How many knees will bow? How many tongues will confess? All of them. All the major news stations are gone at that point. He is going to put his enemies underneath his feet. In the Garden of Eden, things were so blissful. God was among his creation. There was no rupture. All things were under the feet of his, his uh, vice regent, Adam. And then came a snake, and a rupture occurred. And now it is our Father who art in heaven. We see in a mirror dimly. He comes, the world hates him, and he is going to someday bring all the world under his feet and take all those who hated him and put him in a place where nothing of God will ever bother them again. It's called the lake of fire. And before that happens, just like Noah and the ark, I'm going to save out the animals that I will alert, and they're going to hibernate and migrate, and they're going to come to the cross, and I'm going to get them in. And once they're all in, I'm going to shut the door, and then down it comes. And so, until I'm going to put enemies beneath your feet, and he will enact the kingdom of God. To a Jew, of all of these things in the Psalm, 130, uh, Psalm 110, they would have only have understood the very last phrase. Enemies beneath your feet. Yay! Now you need to understand the messianic secret of who I am and why I came and what I'm going to do for all, and then I'm coming back. So, when I read or watch the junk happening today, and I know there's about to come one of them, uh, like them storms they have out in Seattle where it rains or it snows slurpy. Y'all ever seen those? When Seattle has a snowstorm and it's all like slurpy comes down and it settles on everything and then the entire culture crushes, goes down. Uh, I know it's coming. Do y'all know it's coming? Do you really think that our culture, not just America, but the entire Western culture can commit apostasy upon God and us not have a big storm of scat that's coming down, otherwise known in the Greek as a fecal storm? Okay. Oh, it's coming. You cannot cut off the limb you sit on and think things are going to be good. And so it's coming. But I'm okay because I know the secret. Amen? We know what's happening. When I look at the news, I think, right on time. Right on time. Antichrist will not come, Paul said, until the apostasy comes first. Man will reject God. The Spirit explicitly says that in the last days... Some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to the deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. I know it's going to happen. In the last days, hard time will come. I know that. In the last days, men will say, where's the sign of his coming? All continues just as it did from the beginning of creation. I've read it. I know it's coming. And it's happening right now. What you better do is stand on the rock. You better draw close to the body of Christ. Amen. 
get close. Get your kids inside. Get your kids inside. Make sure that they marry within the church and outside of their gender, okay? Sometimes I'm just brilliant. I don't know I'm being brilliant. It just comes to me. But you get solid. You stay in the church. You keep your head in the book and don't get stupid listening to what humans think reality is. You go to the Bible more than any time in your life. You get your kids in that Bible and you protect them and you teach them how to say two words, no, hell no. Okay, no, it's okay, it's okay. You teach your kids how to stand. Listen, in the Old Testament, your great heroes came from 600 B.C. on when Israel was in Babylonian, Persian, Greek, Roman, whatever. And that's when the Daniels and the Ezra's and the Esther's and the Mordecai's and all these guys had to stand. Now, that's when you, we're about to find some heroes. We're about to find some heroes someplace. So stand, and when it hits... You just stay close, okay? We're going to be all right. I read ahead. We're going to win this thing. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you that, as Paul said, until this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so we can see we can see Genesis 3, that the seed of woman will crush the serpent's head. We can see the lineage of Noah through Shem to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Jesus. We see it. We know he's coming back. We see it. Uh, we know what the truth is. We don't need any mortal to tell us the infinite. God will tell us who he is. And our culture will remain so beautiful in the midst of the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Moabites and the Girgashites and the Philistines and all these guys that surround us that say, let Israel be no more. That's okay because we know who we are. And so give us a passion for your word and make our kids heroic. We go out now, Lord, we just kind of, we'll break hands, we'll clap like a huddle, and we'll spread out all over these counties. And we'll start mixing and mingling for you to bring to the well the uh, Samaritan women that might become the bride of Christ. And Father, we'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.